This is IA Story Share, a podcast from Imagining America, where publicly engaged artists, designers, scholars, students, and community members share stories about their life and work. This first series features one-on-one conversations recorded at the 2017 Imagining America National Conference held in and around Davis, California. Today, a conversation between Amy Shimson-Santo and Brittany Fields. Amy is head of arts management for Sotheby's Institute of Art LA at Claremont Graduate University. And at the time of the recording, Brittany was a student just a couple months away from completing the program and figuring out what to do next. Brittany now holds a master's degree in arts management. Amy was Brittany's thesis advisor and, in Brittany's words, quickly turning into a mentor for her. They discuss what it means to be an American, how to live as an artist, barriers and challenges in higher education, and how to bring values and creativity to management. Can you tell me about something in your life that actually, well, I think impacts you spiritually more so because I feel like, you know, I know that you you do a lot of things. You do a lot of things. So like what I think isn't anything spiritually connected in that? Yeah, I think um, in a way, story and spirituality are the same thing for me. Mm-hmm. I feel distracted a lot by stuff that doesn't really matter. You know, when I was younger, um, feeling like I needed to um, show my worth in a world that didn't really reflect that it was okay to be immigrant stock or woman or ethnic or mother or artist. Mm-hmm. And for me, um, writing and moving gave me joy and it also um, brought me back to something truthful and it gave me a sense of freedom and spirituality is the same thing i i often think you know for people who are trying to create some positive change in a world that can be sometimes frightening or bland that it's good to be able to say i get to hang my hat on something higher mm-hmm. um for me, it's like connection to the earth and people all over the world and not feeling like, for example, um, it helps me move beyond a world of insiders and outsiders to a world of we okay, and me as my authentic self. Is that why you also like participating in this kind of conference situation? <laughs> no, yeah, I just feel like... Well, it's a connection between creativity and learning and also um, one form of social action, which for me has definitely always been uh, education and teaching. Um, you know, I want to be able to have it matter. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this kind of work helps me try to keep it real. <laughs> yeah, down for keeping it real. Mm-hmm. Um. I know that you come from a world of thinkers, you know, natural scientists and um, social scientists, and you're the artist in the bunch. Yes. Um, so I wonder if being an artist in a bunch of folks who think deeply, feel deeply, um, has influenced your view of your role in the world. Almost oh, definitely. I mean, you say that, but actually um, all of the people were my mother's very creatively inclined um she's a singer she does calligraphy she's always been creative like she's talented so like all of that you know feeds into that and my father as a pastor too like he's creative with his words so everyone in my family has that um creative aspect but um when you say my role in the world i think um what you aim to do 
I know you're about to graduate, <laughs> so you're thinking about, you know, what kind of job would I have? But I think, yeah. in addition, you know, jobs may be changing, but maybe you knowing what you want to do and what matters to you will help you navigate all of that. Yeah, that's that's the major thing, like being being happy and actually feeling fulfilled in what it is that speaks to my sp- my soul and my 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 actual gifts mm-hmm. and how that can benefit um the growth of America and just like people in general, like mm-hmm. people not realizing that your artwork can speak to someone and actually give them freedom to do what they do or mm-hmm. even, you know, reach other communities. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a different method of communication. And I, mm-hmm. I forget that. Um, and it's great to remember that being in other places where they show you how like art can speak to people that have dementia or can speak mm-hmm. to people who like just don't have a voice, an actual speaking voice, but they can actually do it through art mm-hmm. or through their movement. Mm-hmm. Just, yeah. Profound in that way. So profound indeed. <laughs> Can you talk to me about how you ended up t- being the program director at Sotheby's Institute of Art <laughs> and at CGU? Because I feel like that's an interesting story, considering the fact that you have a very diverse background as a dancer and as a you know communicator, writer, poet. Like you do so many different things. Like how did you get into arts management, nonprofit, and being a director and teacher in that, in that frame? I never shot my arrow at trying to be a professor. I actually knew Randy Martin when I was a young dancer in New York. Mm. He's the husband of my friend Ginger Gillespie, mm. and we danced together. And there's, I'm in a picture with Ginger and, and Jennifer in the front of one of Randy's books. Oh wow! But I never knew what we were going to go on to become. Mm-hmm. You know, at the time we were um, making experimental dance and um, making pixelated movies about trash collection in New York City. Um, but dance guided me to the Bay Area, to New York, to mm-hmm. uh, Central America, to Brazil. And I think my like my family always said, you know, how are you going to support yourself in the <laughs> arts? And um, there was a woman I knew in, um, in Salvador, Brazil, that said, you know, she raised her family in her casa de carajé. Carajé is a kind of uh, food. It's mm-hmm. Nigerian origin. Mm. And it's, uh, it's fried black-eyed peas really? with the eyes rubbed off and you fry it in palm oil and cut it in half and um, fill it with like salty dried shrimp and cashew butter and stuff. Interesting. But so she raised her home on, on something of from her tradition and something she could do with what she had. And I actually, it's a surprise to me that I wound up in academia because uh, when I left New York, I, one of the reasons I left is I needed to get out of the dance studio and I wanted to, and I didn't have confidence in my voice, my written voice. I had confidence in my movement and not mm-hmm. in my written voice. And um, the irony is over the years I've become a writer. Mm-hmm. And we talked about that before. Yeah, how you're a great editor. Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, you're a great web designer. Oh, uh, but we talked before about how sometimes the things that come hard, most difficult, that are difficult for us become our, our weaknesses become our strengths. Mm-hmm. And I think my search for, um, I think I always was interested and curious. Mm-hmm. That's always been with me. Mm-hmm. I don't ever necessarily think I was good at school, but I wanted to learn. And wanting to learn wound up in guiding me to um, having too many degrees. I mean, I have like a BA an MA, an MFA, and a PhD. That's too many degrees. <laughs> you never have to. Junebug Joe's, <laughs> Joe's used to do this theater piece about it. I got a, every made up all these abbreviations. Oh, right. But even then, I don't feel fulfilled. So like my challenge now 
is to figure out how I can bring my values and my creativity to a place like management, mm -hmm. which is usually focusing on, you know, how do you get arts done? How do, how do spaces get, you know, survive? Or how do you um, have a, a, a viable business model and mm -hmm. to help artists work? And I learned arts management because I wanted to dance and I wanted to be able to help other people that I knew dance with me. Mm -hmm. And so I had to learn how to run a business. Mm -hmm. So I had to become entrepreneurial. And that helped us take international artists all over the world. And now, again, trying to figure out something I knew nothing about has become my profession. <laughs> That's the best way to do it, right? Freak out. So, so I'm curious, you know, we're living in a time where I think there's some discussion over what it means to be American. Mm. And imagining America has a pretty deep name. Amer I can. Amer I can. Well, maybe you want to talk about that. Being American? Well, I mean, I'm personally not quite sure I even want... I, <laughs> Do you mind sharing your ethnicity if you were to... Really I'm Middle Eastern American, so my family, my mother's born in Jerusalem, my mm -hmm. father was born in Newark, his family came from the shuttles of of, of um, Europe, and nobody really cared about their nationality per se, because we were always outsiders. Mm -hmm. um, as Jewish people, we didn't have, like my grandpa used to laugh at me, I asked him, what was it like, grandpa, to be in school? He's like, Jewish people didn't go to school? <laughs> he just laughed at me. Oh, wow. So I think... Um, I feel like uh, more of an internationalist, maybe. Mm -hmm. But uh, I like to use where we are to try to do the good work. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't see America as a closed thing. I see us as a part of a planet, and I see ourselves as connected to different, at least in my experience. I mean, I have family on three different continents. Mm -hmm. I heard you mention before how to, how to be an artist and yeah. an arts manager at the same time. Mm. And... Um, that's been one of my healing journeys in the last couple of years is to say, if I already have all these different things I'm interested in mm -hmm. and all these different things I am, mm -hmm. I don't have to work mm -hmm. to connect them. They already are connected. All I have to do is stop editing out my, my own complexities and richness to make it easier for someone else who has a real box they're living in. Like, I don't need to speak to the box. So um, I hope that you come in more and more to own your own artistry and also your organizing skills. I mean, that management is about organizing. It's not just about keeping clean spreadsheets hmm. and, you know, knowing your nonprofit development or something. <laughs> it's a lot more than that. Because we're trying to figure out, well, how do you be creative and create and organize in a world that, and for a future we we haven't met yet, mm -hmm. and you're going to be a part of that mm. longer than me. Uh, in theory, no. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I have a question for you. How is it different when you learn from your family and what you learned in school? So how different or the same? Um, how do they, or how do they complement each other inside of you? Learn from family versus what? Or not versus? Let's not do versus anymore. Let's do layers. <laughs> well, no, I'm trying to see like. What have you learned from your family that you bring to yourself as an artist and as an arts manager? Arts manager. I think I the funny thing about my family is that like just the 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 sheer exposure. Um and I think that the exposure that I've gotten because of what my parents were involved in and how being a young person being dragged to those things cuz you could like they didn't we, like not that they didn't have babysitters but like they just took us to these things so um I think that's a similar thing that's happened in the program. We're just being exposed to these other arenas mm -hmm. and how that's um, 
it's given me, like I said, it's given me experiences people don't believe that I've had. And I'm like, I've been blessed to be able to be just around these mere people. Um, one thing my mom said that was very important, she was like, she wanted to teach her kids to be able to sit at the seat of kings and queens and have dinner, but also be able to like sit with a pauper and have a just as fruitful and engaging conversation, respectful conversation. Like you should be able to meet that different range of people. And just because of like the organization my parents were a part of, the fact that they were highly educated and like brought us with them to like the studio or um, into like the chemistry lab, like having those range of experiences is what's um, given me a larger view but also um, give, allowed them to give me the freedom to say, like, it's okay for you to want to be an artist. That's what your heart is. That's what your passion is. Mm-hmm. So go through and, and live in that. Um, it's harder for me to accept it as a person, but it's something that they've always been very supportive in in that way. So I don't know if that actually answered your question. Yeah. <laughs> is, there, is there anything that um, has anything? I mean, you're finishing up your graduate studies I now. Am. Two um, months. <laughs> has there anything in this last stage other than fear and worry, <laughs> whatever's coming next, that um, has excited you or actually like made you think, ooh, there's something else I want to learn or know or do? Uh, there, always learning more and do. Um, I, I've been, been more excited about the living in myself and that whole documentation, like being able to unapologetically go into what I'm actually interested in and not feeling bad about um, not being interested in certain things and not wasting my time on it. Like mm-hmm. like the curating thing that I'm interested in, I want to go into that full-heartedly. Mm-hmm. Me actually getting back connected to my visual art side and actually um, going actively mm-hmm. into that field, like I've been excited about that. Mm-hmm. Um, understanding more digital humanities and what it really means. And um, just considering, I don't want to continue school, but considering how that could be another route to really getting into what I want to do in terms of access and just educating people. Um, what just, do you want to do in terms of access and educating people? See, <laughs> okay. well, like the documentary we talked about, like showing the, showing the diversity of careers that can be for women and people of color. Mm-hmm. Like if you are aware of that, you can know to strive for that. And then you can actually set, um, set like a, a plan for yourself, not only academically, but just, Life, like these are the places I need to go. These are the people I need to be exposed to. These are the things I need to experience so that I can be mm-hmm. able to be like a podcast director or executive director or mm-hmm. like uh, motion graphics. Like there's so many careers that I just feel like people are not aware of. And that's why um, you always see people getting stuck in these these jobs that they actually aren't necessarily passionate about or they don't. They just don't know. And they're like, like for me, anthropology, if I would have known that before I actually started Spelman, I probably would have been a art and anthropology major, not just an art major. Mm. And like getting that information my senior year at Spelman, I didn't have the, the information to apply to a graduate program that was anthropology and art related. So it's mm-hmm. like I didn't give myself that chance. But if I knew ahead of time, it would have been helpful. So just awareness, like giving people the knowledge so they can actually make um, informed decisions of how to move forward into their either entrepreneurship or their educational journey or their um, professional journey. Yeah. It's tricky because I think some students feel like um, the classes or the degree or mm-hmm. even faculty are supposed to somehow give them a, some kind of a key. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think faculty know what we don't know as well as what we do know. <laughs> It's just so, I feel like faculty see you better than your, you see yourself. Like they can be like, you know what, you're going for this job or you're going for this like career. Um, 
I don't see that as like your skill. Like I see where you where your strengths are. Yeah. You may not agree holistically, but I do see like you're saying, like being able to see your strengths. Yeah. We're our worst critic. But if you have someone outside of you that can say like, you know what? You're really good at this. You should consider looking into these things because it actually speaks to your skills. Right. And what are you actually passionate about? I think about? you would dominate digital storytelling. Dominate. Only time will tell. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad you get a chance to practice that with mm. our action research project for the Capstone project. Hopefully, we'll see what happens. You have. You've yeah, already yeah. done a beautiful website. And I, you know, yeah, it's funny because when we started, when we first started hanging out, you were like, what are my superpowers? I still, I mean, I've, I'm, I'm more confident in these things, but I still am like, what, what are those powers and how does it relate to actual occupational? Yeah. And like, cause I'm still a very, I'm still very green, very amateur in the things that I do, but I really, really want to like get in there. And I'm like, that's why sometimes at the end of this program, I'm like, why was I, I've learned so much being here. But it's it's kind. Of, I feel kind of bad because it's like I. It was more of a weeding out versus an actual like living in. Yeah. And now I'm starting to get to living in, but I also feel very. Um, when you feel very amateur about it, because I always like I'm kind of perfecting in that way. When you feel amateur at it and you actually are passionate about it, it's hard to have someone buy into you when you know that you don't have the holistic skills. We talked about you mentioned before that you feeling when we were working on the website for the project that you felt like an imposter, and I'm like. <laughs> Here I am, twice your age, still feeling like an imposter. Yeah. So I don't know if it's just for women or women of color or women of immigrants or whatever. Anyone who hasn't like seen their image all around saying, you're smart, you're wise, we'll listen to you. <laughs> you know, we don't grow up like that. Or yeah. maybe not out of sight of home or the neighborhood. So I think part of it is just making decision to take positive risks mm -hmm. and let yourself do what you want to do. So right. if you're passionate about stuff, mm -hmm. like stuff you want to learn, I mean, look at our... I hate to say this. It's institutional. Look though. at our president. He don't know. Okay. But no, I just feel like so it's I'm institutional. Just I'm just saying like that whole that whole feeling lesser than because it's actually perpetuated in the way people interact with you because microaggressions are so much more prevalent than people realize. Mm -hmm. And I think that being um just seeing how and understanding how my family has gone through the educational system and dealt with those pushbacks and some of that was legit, some of that really wasn't legit. Understanding how like it's not just me, you know, thinking that I'm less than. It's actually people perpetuating that, like, okay, you're a person of color. I am intimidated by the fact that you are not only intelligent, but you are in this position. You're at this school that I don't think that you belong in, but I'm not going to say that. So, like, just those interactions, it's it's very funny. And it's like, I'm not, I'm not trying to be overly sensitive, but at the same time, like, I'm aware of your whatever about me being in this position. So how can we change people's perspective about saying, like, we just, I deserve to be here. I belong here. And I'm, and I'm doing the work to be here just like someone else. Yeah. I feel the same way as faculty. <laughs> I yeah. do. It's, and, and I remember once, even when I was just considering going to graduate school, meeting with a counselor who happened to be a white male. And he mm -hmm. said, and his degree was on the wall and he had a woman secretary outside. Mm -hmm. And he said, I don't think you're graduate school material. Mm -hmm. And I, and I literally was just, did something I don't usually do. I said, well, I don't think you know. Right. You with your degree on the wall and your woman secretary outside, <laughs> and you're not in charge of me. And then I went home and cowered, of course. Yeah. <laughs> but then it took. But you're right. I, well, it took me sitting with Amain mm -hmm. and saying, "What do you want to do?" And I was like, "Well, if I had enough courage, I would go back to graduate school." Mm -hmm. And I applied, and I got in, and I never thought I would. Right. And here I am again, like too many degrees, PhD, running apartment, and still wondering, can I do what I want to do? Can I do something different? Mm -hmm. Will they stop me? Will they? Will they tell me? You can't do this right. 
So it's interesting because as we move forward, it's like we don't just need to change to be a part of something. We actually need to transform it. We need to change it. Mm-hmm. And there's no way to change it alone. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm up against that all the time. And I finally in my in midlife have just said, you know, there's really no time to waste. So just just do what you do want. Do what you want to do. And and I've always tried it, but I think I've done it a bit confrontationally. Like I've thought, I'm gonna do this until they fire me. <laughs> and I <laughs> And I realized that's not a good modus operandi. So I'm kind of just so committed to this now that I feel like I'll do myself wherever I go. And I, and I hope you do that in your own way. Uh, that's where I'm living in that now, I think. It's been it's been very scary. But it it's also scary. like, I can't do nothing but be me at this point. So either you like it or you don't. <laughs> and, and who cares if they like it? It's like, and this is your alone. gift. Sorry. Yeah, this is your gift of life, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. It's mine too, all of us. Like we don't really need permission mm-hmm. if we um, give it to ourselves to do what we think is interesting and right. Mm-hmm. Awesome, awesome. So tell me a story about a recent experience that for you names our current historical moment in time. Oh my. Um, okay, I'll tell you an ex- a story that happened to me just yesterday. Oh. I was with my son. I was with you yesterday. No, um, the, day be- the day before yesterday. <laughs> the day before yesterday. I was with my son, who is uh, 25. Mm-hmm. And he said, Mom, did you see what Eminem did? Oh, my God. Right? And so I pulled it up, because I'm a spoken word artist myself. <laughs> and I listened to his thing. And here was Eminem. Fascinating, you know, a white rapper with a bunch of mostly black rappers behind him in a parking lot. Mm-hmm really upset and, mm-hmm. and and telling Trump to shove it. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt, and then BET was presenting it. Mm-hmm. And I, I listened to it and that's fine. And then my son said, my son Avila said, but mom, have you heard Paul Robeson's, um, what Paul Robeson said when he was being interrogated by the House on American Activities Committee? Because Paul Robeson is my idol and um, my grandma, my father's side was interrogated before the House Un-American Activities Committee. So there was this whole history in our family of being un-American as Americans. And it affected our family and our friends a lot, affected the whole country. Um, and then I put on, and he sent me to YouTube, and he and I listened to Paul Robeson schooling these really um, ugly, sexist, racist, uh, senators and representatives on the House on American Activities Committee trying to put him down. He said, excuse me, I have a degree in elocution. Hmm. And he was talking about the role and the the correctness of the role of black culture in American life. Mm-hmm. And as a Jewish person, I just was like, I want to be like, you know, I mean, not to be his culture, but to learn from his courage mm-hmm. and his, and his uh, depth. And I feel like that's for me, um, our historical moment is like connecting to our courageous roots, uh, our creative and courageous roots, like that I think Paul Robeson really inhabited for me, and to not be afraid of what the work has that has to be done right now, given um, the violence we're experiencing, both from the administration and in um, this kind of um, display of and and, re- and persistence of white supremacy. Mm-hmm. I read an article about a young man, a young black man who was assaulted by a group of white males at a protest 
And the, the story was about the fact that he was actually charged with a felony in addition to the other white males, which was I thought was like really weird. Like if you watch the video, he's blatantly being beaten by these other men, mm-hmm. but he's also being charged for protecting himself. Um, and I just like think that that whole, that weird conversation is like what is really happening right now where you're trying to protect people of color's lives, mm-hmm. but they're still being persecuted by the, mm-hmm. the system that needs to be changed. So I think that's yeah. like the moment like right now where it's like that weird it's not even friction. It's like, it just doesn't make sense. It's like a backwards um, um, situation. But also I listened to this other podcast of Gordon Parks talking about his life and his career. And I love Gordon Parks' photographer. And I think it was, it was in like 1970 when he did this. But one of the things I thought he said was most poignant was like him being an artist. Like when they, when life approached him and he wanted that job, he's like, I needed a job, but he let them know like, I'm an artist before I'm black. And um, that's how I am. That's what I'm going to do. And that's what, that's what I'm like. That's, you take it or leave it and they hired him and he worked for Vogue like he did so many things that were that um I think uh what's the word it wasn't post black before 1970s but it was very like um profound or how he was able to be an artist at that time that was very politically charged yeah. um and create work that was so beautiful but still mm-hmm. you know transcended that's what I'm thinking it transcended that whole racial situation when he was during that time and I think that's still very, 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 very poignant and prevalent, like poignant today for artists like me and just artists in general to be able mm-hmm. to transcend that and just be an artist that creates mm-hmm. work. Um, his work on his photographs on segregation, though, were so he transcended not more than himself. Mm-hmm. He, I think he helped everybody see race relations through his eyes. Yeah. You know, quietly and so loud. Mm. I love uh, that, man. I love. That was Amy Shimshon Santo and Brittany Fields, who participated in IA Story Share at the 2017 Imagining America National Conference. At the end of each session, we asked everyone who shared with us to also complete the sentence, I imagine an America. Oh, gosh. I imagine America. This makes me feel like crying. Oh. I have very mixed feelings about America. Mm. Don't y'all. I think I'd like to say I imagine America where everyone feels welcome. Hmm. And I definitely imagine America that doesn't stop at the border of the United States. To hear those short segments, go to our website, imaginingamerica.org, and click on IA Story Share. You can subscribe to the IA Story Share podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play Music. And if you'd like to contact the IA Story Share project, our email address is connect at imaginingamerica.org. The views presented in this podcast are not necessarily those of Imagining America, the University of California Davis, or the University of California Regents. Our opening theme music is by Joe Kai. Our closing music today is by Camila Ortiz. Imagining America, Artists and Scholars in Public Life, is a national consortium of academic institutions and cultural organizations based at the University of California Davis. (laughs) 